are in our series called Shadows. Anytime you see a shadow, it is proof that there is light. So each week what we are doing is looking at the shadows that prove that Jesus Christ is the light of the world. And this week we arrive at what Jesus Christ calls the ultimate proof, the ultimate shadow, the scriptures. There's a modern parable that tries to explain all religions, and it goes like this. There are these five blindfolded men, and they're going to go, and they're going to feel an elephant and describe what the elephant is. And there's another guy that's watching it all happen who doesn't have a blindfold, and he's watching all these blindfolded men feel and try to describe an elephant. So one of the blindfolded guys comes up, and he feels the side of the elephant. He says, an elephant is like a wall. Another guy goes and grabs the tusk and says, an elephant is like a spear. Another guy grabs the ears and says, an elephant is like a fan. Another guy grabs the leg and says, no, an elephant's like a tree. And another guy grabs the tail and says, no, an elephant's like a rope. And the man that isn't blindfolded says, all have described part of the truth of what an elephant is, but have failed to see the whole picture the same way All religions are describing a different truth about God, but they all lead to the same God. Now, while this sounds very kumbaya-ish, we have just been tricked into another religion. Let me show you what I mean. It sounds very humble to say, how can any one religion claim that it has the authority on what truth is? I want you to think about something. Think about the man. Think about, has there someone in this story that I just told? Is there someone who's claiming to have the whole absolute truth? Yes. The man who doesn't have the blindfold on is claiming that he has the truth of what reality is. He's saying that he's the authority on what absolute truth is. You see what he's done? He's saying that all other religions have a blindfold on, except for him. But he's doing the very thing that he's upset all other religions are doing. He's making himself the final authority on what absolute truth is. He's claiming that all religions lead to the same God. So think of it like this. He's put himself in this seat as the judge, and he's holding this mallet in his hand, and he's banging it on the table, says, I know what the truth is. He's saying, look at all of these blindfolded dummies trying to find God. Don't you know that all religions lead to the same God? Guys, this is just another religion in disguise. And you'll probably see an example of this this week as you're driving. So there's a bumper sticker. And on the bumper sticker, it says coexist. Maybe some of you guys have this. I don't know. But it says coexist and it has all the different religious symbols of all the different religions. And basically what it is asking is saying, abandon your belief for this other belief. That all religions lead to the same God. Here's the question that we have to ask How can we trust him? The real question isn't, is there truth? The real question is, where do we go to find it? 
So John 5, verse 30 through 47, that's where we are today. We're in the Gospel of John. I'm going to read this, and we're going to look at where Jesus says we ought to go to find truth. So here's what Jesus says. He says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Then he says, if I alone bear witness about myself, my testimony is not true. There is another who bears witness about me, and I know that the testimony that he bears about me is true. You sent to John, and he has bore witness to the truth. Not that the testimony that I receive is from man, but I say these things so that you may be saved. He was a burning and shining lamp, and you were willing to rejoice for a while in his light. But the testimony that I have is greater than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to accomplish, the very works that I am doing, bear witness about me that the Father has sent me. And the Father who sent me has himself bore witness about me. His voice you've never heard, his form you've never seen, and you do not have the word abiding in you, for, if you, for you do not believe the one whom he has sent. You search the scriptures because you think that in them you have eternal life, and it is they that bear witness about me. Yet you refuse to come to me that you might have life. I do not receive glory from people, but I know that you do not have the love of God within you. I have come in my Father's name, and you do not receive me. If another comes in his own name, you receive him. How can you believe when you receive glory from one another and do not seek the glory that comes from the only God? Do not think that I will accuse you to the Father. There is one who accuses you, Moses, on whom you have set your hope. For if you believed Moses, you would have believed me, for he wrote of me. But if you do not believe his writings, how will you believe my words? Last week, we saw Jesus claim to be God. And what we said is, given the claims that Jesus has made about himself, we have to conclude that he's either a liar He's a lunatic, or he is God himself. He's either a liar who's making it up, he's a lunatic who thinks he's God but isn't, or he is God himself, and we must bow to him. And because of his claims, the reality is we cannot just have a mild reaction to Jesus. We have to make a decision about what to make of him. And in our text today, he says, do you want to know if I'm really God? come to rescue you. He says, here's where you've got to go for proof. Go to the scriptures. For Jesus, the highest authority in the cosmos is the Bible. So here's what he does. He says, you want to know if I am who I say I am? Here's what you do. He says, first, it's surprising. He says, don't take my word for it. Then he says, second, look at John the Baptist. Look at the people who are telling you about who I am and what I've come to do. He says, but still, there's a greater proof. He says, look at my works. Look at the miracles that I'm doing. Look at all the things I'm doing in the world. These are proof, but still, there's a greater proof. So he ends like this. If you're going to arrive at the final authority of what to make of me, he says, go to the scriptures. 
And he's saying, if you ask for a higher authority, I wouldn't have one for you. So it goes like this. You go to Jesus and you say, Jesus, how do I know that you're God? And he says, simple, go look in the scriptures. And then you say, well, how do I know that the scriptures are right? And here's his answer. Because the scriptures say that they're right. What has happened is Jesus is saying there's no higher authority than that to figure out what is truth. In fact, Jesus' Jesus's view, listen to this, Jesus' view is that the Bible contains the very words of God. How can Jesus say that if humans have written the Bible? Here's how. Because Jesus' view of Scripture and Scripture's own view of itself are, these are the very words of God, divinely inspired, spoken through humanity. The fundamental question that we've got to figure out, that you've got to make a decision about, is this. Is the Bible man's words searching for God or is the Bible God's words searching us out? Very different. Is the Bible man's words searching for God or is the Bible God's words searching us out? Scripture's own claim about, him, about, about Scripture is that it is the very words of God. Listen to this. 1 Thessalonians 2.13 says this, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, you accepted it not as word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God, which is at work in you believers. Now, I realize that this is a faith position to say that the Bible is the very words of God. But what we also have to realize is that if we say that this is not the very words of God, that is also a faith position. Everyone is working from a pre-existing faith position. If you think the Bible contains the word of God, then you have the faith. It w- no, I'm sorry. If you don't think the Bible contains the very words of God, then you either have a pre-existing faith position that there is no God or that there is a God, but he cannot speak to us today. But you can't prove either one. Both have to be taken as a faith position. You say, no, the burden of proof is on me to prove. The burden of proof is on the, the, the Christian to prove that the scripture is the very words of God. I say, no, the burden of proof is on all of us to figure what is going on out, to figure out, is this really the word of God? But ultimately, here's what you've got to know. Here's what you've got to know. The place where you go to figure out, is this really the word of God? That is your final authority. Where is the place where you're going? What is the final authority that's saying whether this is the word of God or not? For the Christian, they go right to the scripture to prove that the scripture is the scripture because that's their highest authority. Whatever your final authority is, you guys have to understand this, whatever your final authority is, that's where you go to find truth. The Christian belief system is that there is a God and he speaks to us today 
through the very words of God in the scriptures. If you don't believe that that's true, all that has happened is you have another authority in your life telling you that that can't be true. But the question then that I have is, what is that authority telling you that? Is it your culture? Is it just a feeling in your gut? The question is then, how can you trust that? Do you see what's happening? It all has to be taken as a faith position. When I tell, when I tell my son Cruz to do something, um, he loves to ask why. Uh, this is a common thing that kids do. And so I like to just try to answer as many of his why questions as I can just to have fun with it. So it kind of goes like this. Like I say, Cruz, don't do a running backflip off the bed. Why, Daddy? Because you'll fall and hit your head. Why? Well, because you haven't practiced enough and it will hurt you. Well, why will it hurt me? Well, because you have nerves all throughout your body and they send messages up to your brain. Don't you understand that? And, and he says... He says, but daddy, why can't I just jump off the bed? And I say this, because I said so. <laughs> what have I just done? I've made myself the final authority over him. At some point, it has to be because something or someone says so. For the Christian, the final authority is the scriptures. You know the song, Jesus Loves Me, This I Know, For the Bible Tells Me So? It goes like this. Jesus loves me, this I know. How do you know? The Bible told me. The highest authority. Um, my aunt was in town recently, and she told me that I used to be like this bratty kid that used to just go around saying, because God said so. And, and in a way, like I'm kind of still this bratty kid saying to you right now, because God said so. But the truth is, there's also some real wisdom in those words because God said so. Take this example. Why shouldn't you lie? You can, you can say all the logical reasons why you shouldn't lie. You want to go get forward in your career, and people won't trust you if you lie. Uh, it'll break down your marriage. It'll break down your relationships. Your friendships will break down if you're constantly lying to people. But eventually, you have to get to the highest authority on what the answer is why you shouldn't lie. And the answer is, for the Christian, because God said so in the scriptures. Now, if scripture isn't your final authority, then what is telling you you shouldn't lie? Is it your career? Is it your desire for approval over others? So if it's your career, you would say, okay, I'm not going to lie so I can get ahead in my career. Well, well listen. The answer of what is right or wrong is constantly shifting in everything else. So take your career, for example. If you say, I'm not going to lie for my career so that I can get ahead. Well, what happens if your boss asks you a question that if you answer with the truth, you're going to be fired? Your career starts screaming at you, lie. Many, uh, let's be honest. Many of you probably don't see Scripture as your highest authority. And if you are saying that you do see Scripture as your final authority, I'd put money on it that you aren't living like it's your final authority. So what I want to do is I want to just talk about some objections that people have to saying Scripture is not the final authority on truth. 
So one objection people have is the relationship between the Bible and creation and science. And let me say this, just so you know, the Bible and science are not at odds with each other. Many people will say, I can't believe in the Bible because it argues for a six-day creation. Now let me just tell you this. The whole point of the creation story is not a detailed historical description of how the world was created. The point of the creation story in the Bible is to say who the creator is and how he created. The creator is God. How did he create? Through his word. You have to let the scriptures say what they're trying to say to you. And a lot of times we don't allow it to say what it's trying to say because we have pre-existing beliefs about what we think of the scriptures. We already have our mind made up. And here's the other thing people do. People will use scriptures, they'll use the Bible to get what they want. Uh-oh, connected with somebody. Okay. I'll say it again for you. Uh, the script, people will use the scripture to get what they want. They use it to manipulate people. Now, there's a, there's a movie called The Book of Eli. And in this, in this movie, here's what happens. There's one Bible left in the entire world. And this evil guy wants it. Why does this evil guy want this Bible? Because he wants to submit to the Bible? Because he wants to let the Bible rule over his life? No, he wants the Bible so that he can use it to rule over other people. And so he wants that Bible, not so that he can let the Bible rule over him, but so he can rule over other people. And I got to tell you, this is precisely what happened in American slavery. A lot of people will say, I can't believe in a Bible that talks about slavery. Nowhere in Scripture does it allow for slavery the way we saw it in America. Nowhere at all. American slavery was one of the greatest failings of the American church. And here's what happened. Scripture was used for its own People use scripture for their own gain in order to promote slavery. And there's, there's a word that is used in the New Testament that they used at the time to promote slavery. They were reading it with their desire to see slavery happen. But the Greek word that's used here, a better way to translate it is bondservant. So do you know what a bondservant is? A bondservant is basically a contract between two people where a mutual agreement where someone says, I'm going to work for you for a period of 10 years. I'm going to live at your place, and my family's going to live here, and we're going, to, we're, going to, we're going to give our lives working for you for 10 years so that after those 10 years, we will have money and we can go make a life for ourselves. It's a mutual, mutually beneficial contract between two people. During American slavery... People made themselves the authority over Scripture and made it say what they wanted it to say. And the reality is, i got to tell you this, there are many things in the Bible that you guys think means one thing, but it actually means something completely different. Once you study it, you realize, I thought it meant this, but it means something completely different than what I thought. 
Some people will look at the Old Testament and say, man, that was a barbaric book. You know, a lot of what is said in the Old Testament, like, let me give you an example. An eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth. That was actually a very gracious law. Because at the time, here's here's what would happen. Someone would knock over someone's donkey, and then someone else would say, okay, well, now I'm going to go kill your donkey, I'm going to burn your house down, and I'm going to take your kid. You know, I'm embellishing here, but you get the point of what's going on. This is a way to help society function. This is a law that was actually very gracious for the time. And let me say this too. A lot of the things that seem harsh in the Old Testament are harsh because they are the tension for before Christ comes. He resolves that tension for us. But do you know what I think the real problem is? We want to be in authority. We want a God that fits into our views, not a God who forces us to fit into his views. There's a saying that goes like this. God made us in his image, and then we returned the favor. We would rather have God be how we want him to be. Do you know what we've essentially done by doing that? To have a God that fits into what we want him to be like? You have made yourself now an authority over God. You have made yourself the God of your life. And what you have also done is you've made a Stepford God. Have you guys seen the Stepford Wives? It's, it's this group of men who have made wives, but their wives are robots. And they do whatever they tell them, and they never, ever, ever disagree with them. What we want is a Stepford God. I mean, come on, be honest. You want a God who won't disagree with you. You're trying to live with the idea that there is a God, but that he doesn't have a say over what you ought to believe or how you ought to live. And I'm going to tell you the perfect way to do this, the perfect way to try to create that for you, is to say that all views lead to the same God. Listen to this. The thinking behind coexist is our greatest effort to allow there to be a God, but to not allow him to have any say over the way we live. It means every path leads to God, so believe whatever you want, and what you've now done is you've just made yourself the authority over your life. The only, only, only way to have a God who doesn't have authority over your life is to erase God, to kill him, But I still have bad news for you. There's always going to be somebody who's bigger, stronger, more powerful than you, who's claiming authority over your life, and there's nothing you're going to be able to do about it. There's always going to be someone who has authority over you. You can't escape it. There's always an authority. So now the question is, not only what is our authority in life, but how does our authority treat us? There's a life that you want. 
deep within you. The deepest desires of your heart, there's a life that you want for you. And the life that you want for you, you'll never, you're never going to be able to get it for yourself. You could if you, brought, if you brought the expectations way down. But God has, God has a life for you that you were made for. A life that fulfills the deepest, most intimate, most passionate desires for your life. God has that life for you. He has eternity set for you. And we'll never be able to give ourselves e- eternity. So the most logical thing to do, the most rational thing to do, is to allow God to have authority over your life because he's the only one who has the authority to give you the life that you've always wanted. He treats you like no other authority would or could. So God has given us the scriptures to guide us, us who are blind, guide us to find truth. And ultimately, the scriptures are pointing us to one thing over and over and over again, pointing us to one place over and over and over again. And the thing the scriptures are pointing to, the thing the scriptures are screaming, the name the scriptures are screaming to us is Jesus Christ. Everywhere. And I want to tell you that for my faith, the greater that I've seen the Old Testament and how it points forward to Christ, the greater I have seen it and understood how it's pointing to Christ, the greater my faith has been. And the more I've said it would be impossible for Jesus to not be God. There's no way the things could be said about him and fulfilled in him in the Old Testament, how they're fulfilled in the New Testament. There's no way anybody can make this up. And the more I've understood that, the more I've said, I'm going to live by this book. And then when I fail to live by the book, I remember what the book told me, that we have a God who's gracious, who won't leave me or forsake me if I'll just make myself his. But if you're going to discover God that way, if you're going to discover the God of Scripture that way, you cannot read the Bible like you read any other book. You have to read the Bible like it is a person. The Bible says about itself that it is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword, cutting, cutting us to the core, cutting to bone, shaping us, moving us, It's alive, and you have to treat it like it's God who is alive in the scriptures speaking to you. So let me show you how the Bible cuts us. Let me show you what it does to us. Let me show you how it moves us. It tells us about a story, and it tells us about a story of us who are blind, searching for truth guiding us to truth. And so we're on our hands and our knees, blindfolded, digging for truth, trying to find it, moving our hands around, and then our hands move upon something, sticking out of the ground. This large wooden thing. And we move our hands up, and what we find is that we're holding a cross. And then we find that our hands 
have taken hold of a foot that has a nail through. It's the foot and the na- it's the foot of our Savior. And so we stand up in terror. And what we find is that we have a God who then removes the blindfold. And he said, this, this is what Jesus says, this, my child, is truth. This is the truth of all truth. This is what every truth has been pointing to you. Me, here, upon the cross, dying for you. whole history of the cosmos has been pointing to this moment. Jesus says, this moment where I will die for you. And he says, it is this moment, my rebellious child, where you did not want me to be the God of your life. He says, if you sit on the seat of authority of your life, you are building for yourself a cross. You are building for yourself the hell of a cross. And so here's what Jesus does. He says, this, the scriptures tell of the moment when I, the Lord, would hang on the cross of hell that you built for yourself, that I took from you and made it mine. He says, this is grace. Believe. No other God gives you this. No other God dies in your place. Any other authority absolutely crushes you for disobeying, and he is crushed in your place because this is what the Bible has been saying was going to happen since the beginning, since Genesis 3. This was the promise. No other authority gives you the grace you need to deal with your sin. We don't like looking at our sin. And when we do, what are we going to do with it? Unless we have a God who's handled it for us already. And here's what happens. In the resurrection, he secures for us the life that we have always wanted the life that has been promised since the beginning, it is secured for us and we're waiting now to walk into it. Scripture is a giant arrow pointing to our great hope which is in Christ. Absolutely all of it points right at him. Let's pray. God, we pray We thank you that you are a God who has remained faithful to the promises that you made to us long ago, these ancient promises that have come true through your son, Jesus Christ. We thank you that we can stand here now assured of that truth because they've been promised to us in the scriptures. God, give us faith to believe that the Bible is not man's word searching for you, but your word searching us out. Let us see your word as what it is, the hound of heaven who has come for us to search us out, to search our hearts so that we might find the truth of this story echoing forever in the halls of our hearts so that we might praise you forever and ever and ever in this truth. We pray all this in Jesus' name, amen.